G'day everyone. Hello. You, do they talk to you, Sharon, or not really? Maybe, kind of. Well, it's nice to be here at Refresh, and uh, thank you for your warm welcome. Uh, it's nice to come to a church that actually feeds you before you do anything. That's good. Um, <laughs> thanks for your welcome, Sharon. And uh, I, I suppose you know that Sharon's moving sideways next year. So she's been pastor here at Refresh and uh, moving fully into the chaplaincy space next year. So I just want to acknowledge Sharon's ministry here while I have the opportunity. Uh, we really value what Sharon does, and I know that you've been blessed by her, her leadership here in Re Refresh. I know you're still going to be around, it's just in a slightly different uh, capacity. Um, I was... Usually when I travel around, I just talk about whatever I want to talk about. They say, oh, you're the president, just preach whatever you want to preach. And uh, Sharon didn't take that approach. <laughs> she said, oh, you know what, we're in a, in a series on relationships. And that Sabbath, it's about marriage. How would you go preparing or doing something about marriage? And I said, hmm, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So uh, we had to think really quick and try and figure out, well, what would we say about marriage? You know, it's been a while since I uh, was pastor of a local church and had opportunity to talk about such relevant things, you know. It's not that the things I normally talk about are irrelevant, but, but so it was good. And we had to sort of sit down and Ray and I, as we've, we've, we've talked this through and decided, well, what could we share? We've come to the point that we actually need some marital counsel. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you're available, Sharon, that would be great. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I was thinking about, the, uh, and just last night, actually, I looked at some of the statistics about marriage here in Australia. Um, oh, before we get on to that, there's our crew. That's, um, Ray, you can tell us who we've got there. Okay, so this is Blair and Emma Lemke. Blair is the, um, what do you call it, adult? Uh, young adults director in North New South North Wales. North New South Wales, so they're living in Newcastle. Emma's a florist, or teacher by trade and florist as well. Yeah, and she's, she's our middle child. Then there's Emily and Lachlan. Um, these guys are all married. So Blair and Emma, Emily and Lachlan. Lachlan's our, our youngest. youngest. Emily's an, a registered nurse at the Gold Coast. Lachlan's a physiotherapist. And the funny thing is, everybody says Emily looks more like our daughter and instead of daughter-in-law because she's very much like the other girls. And, and maybe Lachlan loved his sister so much he wanted to marry someone that looked like well. Who knows? <laughs> um, he would hate me saying that, by the way. Um, so that's... And there's Deanna and Rob. That's Rob, and that's Deanna, our eldest girl. And Deanna um, is... Oh, you can't say that they're pretty. Well, they're actually, they're all really intelligent, usually. <laughs> but but um, anyway. Deanna's got two um, children. They're three and two. And she's got another baby on the way, which is going to happen in March. So we're super excited about grandchildren at the moment. We're in that phase mm. and we're loving it. And she's a primary school teacher um, by training and worked, in, worked as such until she went on maternity leave. And, and on now that she's uh, got kids, she does some floristry stuff with, with Emma and they do weddings mainly. And Rob's a high school teacher by training and he's just finished an MBA uh, at... Bond University. So there you go, that's us. Anyway, so we, we, we were wanting to talk about the keys to marriage success. Hooray. But here in Australia, here in Australia, this is some statistics from last night. Most, the, the highest, the peak of weddings 
happened in 2012 where there were 123,000 weddings. How about that? Well, that's a lot of weddings, don't you reckon? So, um, and currently there are about 326 weddings every day. And um, I thought that divorce rates might be on the increase, but actually according to the stats that I got off the internet from, uh, uh, what was it? Anyway, it was a very reliable site, I think. <laughs> uh, anyway, divorce rates are trending down, apparently. And there was some attempt to give some explanation to that, and perhaps because, you know, we're, we're, we're marriages themselves, not, not as popular, but anyway, won't worry about that discussion. But 43% of marriages end in divorce, and I, was, I actually did that calculation myself based on the 2017 figures. There was 112,000 weddings registered, and then I took the number of divorces that were also registered and just came up with a percentage. Is that any maths teachers? Is that statistically okay? Anyway, it came up to 43%. And the other stuff that I read, read there online was that, because uh, I thought it was around the 50% mark, but that's a US figure. Here in Australia, it's not, it's not 50, it's a little less than that. And some, some of the statistical sites were saying one in three marriages end in divorce. So the point, I, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? So many marriages and, and, the, and the numbers that end in divorce. And I just want to say, because this morning we'll be talking to all of you, and some of you are single, some of you are married, some of you are perhaps hoping to be married one day, uh, others of you would be divorced. And whatever category you, f you fit into, we don't want to be demeaning in any way of your experience. You know, everyone sets out when, because I, I have never done a whole lot of marriage counselling, but plenty of premarital counselling. So you, this younger generation, if you're thinking about it, I can help you. Okay. So I can, I can tell you the pitfalls and the potholes and so on. So, but, but um, I was, <laughs> I was, it's, divorce is, rated as the second most traumatic event in that could happen in one's life. So it's not an easy thing. Some of you uh, perhaps come from homes where your parents have separated. It's a, it's a tra tra traumatic thing and it impacts us. But we all set out with ideals and there are a variety of reasons why things work out and things don't. But it doesn't make you any less of a person. You're still a valuable child of God whether your marriage is successful or whether it wasn't, uh, or whether you're single. And uh, funnily enough, I was chatting to this guy. <laughs> he was an old bachelor fellow. He was single, never married. He would have been in his 70s, I reckon. And uh, I said, so what was the go? Did you, did you want to get married? Didn't want to get married? Didn't, just didn't find? He said, oh, Brett, he said, he said, I thought it was better to have, no, no, how did he put it? No, I thought it was better to want what I couldn't have than to have what I didn't want. That was his, that was his approach. But yeah, I thought it was really funny. Anyway, um, so what is marriage and what, what's the point of marriage? Well, the chef does everything but cook. That's what wives are for. Uh, apparently, this is an old uh, 1950s meme, I think. And uh, marriage is a relationship rated, and I'll put this one in there, is a relationship in which one person is all, always right and the other is the husband. So, anyone, any of you guys, no amens from you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're going to say, oh, we're not going there. All right. So, um, now what is a wedding? Well, Webster's Dictionary describes a wedding as the process of removing weeds from one's garden. So, 
I thought I didn't get it. So if you didn't get it, <laughs> ask him. You're all very. You had to explain it to me last night. You're all very slow. You're a bit like my Ray didn't get it at all. I was I was in hysterics. I was trying to. Make <laughs> you want to see it again? No. <laughs> it's like, come on. That, that was that was that was hilarious. I didn't. I I thought winking and wedding. Yeah, that's what it is. Now, what is a wedding? Well, Webster's Dictionary describes a wedding as the process of removing weeds from one's garden. <laughs> ah, see, there's some others that didn't get it. Oh, I was Neil. half asleep. It was yeah. 10 o'clock at night. Well, Neil thought it was funny. Good on you, Neil. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, what, what have we got up here next? Oh, yeah, this one Ray picked out. And uh, we went looking for because what we wanted to do was to share from our own experience. So this is this is our own experience, but uh, we wanted it to be kind of accurate according to the marriage counselling people. <laughs> and so Ray found this uh, this book that she thought was good counsel, and it was called "That the Intelligent Woman's Guide to a Reasonably Happy Marriage." <laughs> <laughs> good one for you, younger women here, perhaps. But she didn't actually, sh that was as far as she went with it. I actually read some of the stuff and I thought, that is pretty good. We should, <laughs> we should have a look at that. So it was written by a man, of course, in, <laughs> in, in 1953. Um, but what are the keys to, to marriage success? And that's what we want to share with you. Now, we, we don't pretend to have any particular expertise as such other than to say that we have been married for 33 years. And, thank you, and, uh, well, I better speak for myself, and a happy 33 years. How are you going? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was kind of overwhelmed by the 33 <laughs> years of happiness, but kind of like, okay. So, how did it happen, Ray Marie? Well, six well years. Let, yeah, let me just ask, if, is there anyone here in year nine? Can't be honest. Yeah, Fourteen. <laughs> Righto. Next time you're in class, have a good look around. <laughs> and one of the girls sitting there will be your wife. <laughs> well, that's what happened for me, right? So that's how it worked. So that's how young we were when we kind of connected and thought, yeah, she's all right. Hmm. So what happened was um, I was at Tweed Valley Adventist College. Um, it was called, what was it then? Oh, uh, anyway. Well, Willembar Adventist School or yes. something, I think. And yeah. um, these, uh, you know, it's a small, it was a smallish school. We were all very close. We all did class lunches together and, you know, went to school, did class lunch, went to church. So we all knew each other very well and it was an intimate little school. And um, so you knew when there were new people at your school. So these two guys walked into the school grounds and I was very outgoing. I was very sanguine. I was actually quite naughty. 
And um, I remember looking at these guys and saying, what a couple of dorks these guys are. It was Glenn and Brett. And they had just come back from New Guinea. They'd been in New Guinea for five years. So, you know, they sort of, they'd been out of society for a little bit. Yeah, and, steady, um, steady. <laughs> we thought we were pretty normal, really. But, but as we got to know these guys, they really stole our hearts and had a huge influence over the school. And it's interesting how youth school kids can have a huge influence over your schoolmates. They were two brilliant blokes. They were good at sport. They were, oh, there wasn't very much they weren't good at. They were both ducks in their classes. Um, they were just good at everything. But the one thing that they did do that really um, was impressive was pulled us together spiritually. So, um, you know, Friday nights we, we started um, getting together for Vespers, what we used to call Vespers back then, for Friday night worships and things like that. And we needed that. In that school, we needed a couple of good spiritual mentors. And I really admired that. And... Um, but what actually happened that we got together was that Brett was keen on horses and I also was. I'd been riding for a long time and had horses of my own. Um, and this particular day, I lived near the school grounds and I could see that they were hammering in fence posts and wire and I thought, oh, what's going on here? They're making a paddock. And um, anyway, then I noticed that Brett had a horse in the paddock at school. And I thought, this is weird. I asked if I could have a horse at the school and they said no. And now, just because he's a pastor's kid... No, it's all about how you are. He's been allowed to have a horse. So I went to the principal, who was Ray Paul at the time, and I said, hey asked if I could have a horse here and you said no how come he can and he said well that's true if you really want a horse in that paddock you better go and talk to Brett because he's done all the work he's made the paddock it's really probably not enough grass for two horses go and talk to him so I did I struck up courage went and asked him if I could put a horse in the paddock with him and he agreed he said you'll have to feed it because there's not enough feed that's okay no worries so I bought horse pellets and stuff, and we started riding together after was school in the afternoon. It was a bit more romantic than that, really. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, um, because the first time Ray came and talked to me, uh, we were new to the school, it's true, and I'm sitting on the, the bench at lunchtime having my cut lunch thinking, uh, I don't know where to sit, I don't know who to talk to, you know, it's really awkward, and I don't know, and so I'm sitting there on my lo lonesome very sad, of course, yeah. Mm. Anyway, so... I was actually really shy so this, back then. So this vivacious young girl comes charging over to me and starts chatting with me, and I thought, wow, she's all right. Anyway, made me feel comfortable at home. So when she came and asked me, could I keep a horse in the paddock, I thought, let me think about that for a minute. And I'm inside, I'm going, yes, of course. Yeah, so that's what happened. Mm. So um, we we kept courting for a number of years. Did, were you 
because we were only 14 and so we rode together for a long time and we actually became good friends um and then i realized oh he's he's nicer than a friend and um yeah so then we started going out together and that week brett's dad was the pastor at Mwollumbar at the time so we were attending the same church same school so it was easy to see a lot of each other even though we were only 14 didn't have licenses and all that sort of thing and it just grew and grew and grew and grew for six years it grew until everyone started saying when are you guys going to get married so ray was 20 when we got married so pretty young by today's standards i think uh, i think the average age now is it i think it's 28 for women and 30 for guys something like that i, I remember reading it last night anyway it's quite a bit older than that and we had uh, deanna when uh, two years later so we were young parents comparatively speaking and uh but that's the key, one of the key things that I would say, and I know you've talked about dating before, but the thing is, if you don't build a solid friendship to start with, it's all pointless in the end. There has to be a solid friendship foundation. And um, I, I just wanted to have a look at this passage, which has been significant to most, to many weddings, but certainly as we've talked about weddings, when it, when it comes to what the Bible says, it's the, the beginning of, of marriage, really, in Genesis 2, when God caused the man to fall asleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. He brought her to the man, and the man said, Now this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman. She was taken out of a man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two of them become one flesh. It's that one flesh part of the passage that's always fascinated me, and it always fascinates me when I, when I talk to younger couples who are thinking about getting married, what does this one flesh mean? It's not just a physical union. It means there's, there's, there's a unity of purpose. There's a unity of direction. There's a shared sense of value. There's... Uh, there's shared shared dreams, uh, shared sense of what the future might might look like. But this takes a lot of time, and so um, the prepare and enrich program that prepares uh, young couples or, or older couples, for that matter, who are thinking about marriage, rates their relationship in these areas, and there are one or two other measures that it takes, but are you one or are you two? So the thing is, like, if Ray and I are in relationship, like right now, we're in relationship. Or just figuratively speaking, let's think about the distance we have. Some people live in relationship like this would be the model of it. So they might be under the one roof, but there's really no connection, there's really no engagement, there's really no involvement. That's the way marriage looks. It's not really, in my view, oneness. And then you have this other, this other way of being one where, where one of the partners is like that constantly. Well, we, we have a strong connection, but it becomes a real burden. On, there's always this leaning on the other person, and if they fall down, the thing collapses. And then you can have this other model where the two of them are leaning together. So, again, it's problematic because if one of them stumbles and falls, the whole thing sort of falls in a heap. So the model... Well, the picture that I like to have is like just 
standing together and we're standing on our own two feet, but we are one. So you don't lose your individuality. You are who you are, but there is that oneness and that unity. And the, the, the measures, these are the areas that oneness will be strong or it will be, be weak and the, the two-ness, if you like, will be emphasised. And there's no right and wrong in those, those things. For example, parenting. If I want three kids and Ray wants three kids, then all's good. But if I'm preparing for marriage, she wants four kids and I want none, then you've got a problem. So, and it's true of finances. Uh, Ray's approach could be just spend it, it's only money, whatever, uh, which is pretty right. No, not quite. And my, my, my approach could be the same and then we would be happy and harmonious, right? But if I had a different approach, no, we, we've got to save, we've got to, put ten, we've got to budget, you can't just spend whatever you like, you've got to, you know, there's a thing in the budget. Then there's a problem. So it's how you, how you deal with those things and the same is with uh, personality, role expectations, you know, it's okay. The old school thing was, well, the man was the breadwinner and the wife was the one who did the cooking. And if they were happy with that, that's fine. Things have changed a little bit now, but it's, it's, it's how you negotiate that between the two of you. Same with uh, idealist, idealistic expectations. People come into a marriage thinking this is going to be just wonderful. It's like the bee's knees and my life will never be the same again. And then when they get into it, it's like, hang on a minute, what happened to all those dreams and expectations? We seem to be just constantly fighting all the time. And so you've got to go into it with your eyes wide open. Um, <coughs> I was going to say, or I think Ray maybe wanted to say something a little bit about family of origin, but you come to a marriage with values and ideas about how marriage would work that are unwritten. It's just this roadmap in your head that you have because that's the way you experienced it in your family of origin. That's how you grew up. No one has to explain it to you. No one has to to tell you it's just the way you experienced it and so that's the way when you come together you you want to live it well the problem is Ray and I came from very different families of origin and so we had very different uh, ways of relating and ways of, of functioning and she she would just take things for granted and I'd be like what are you doing that for like we never we never talked about that or or and but it's just that that's your family that you come from. So these are the things that you've got to navigate in marriage, Ray Marie. We're still here. We got it. So something works. So keys to marriage success. We've got four of them. And uh, only four because, not because there's only four, but because four is all we thought we'd have time for. And we, we sort of picked them out as, hey, these are important to us. So key to marriage success number one is communication to deepen friendship now get get this because those of you who are older and have read marriage material uh you younger people probably haven't bothered yet but they always without fail this a whole idea of communication comes up you know oh you've got to communicate and what seems to be missing and i i picked this up from uh, a fellow by the name of John Gottman I might speak a bit more about him but he's a bit of a marriage a relationship guru 
insofar as that what he is saying about marriage is based on empirical evidence. It's longitudinal studies which mean of married couples, which means he studies them not just for five minutes in a counselling session, but he studies the couples over a period, I think he's up to 30 years now, and 3,000 couples. And so uh, statistically, what he's saying is true for marriages that are successful. And the key thing that he would say, everyone raves on about communication, but it's not just talking about the weather, which happens to be one of my wife's favourite topics. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's hot today. Oh, it's really muggy today. Get caught in the weather. Oh, it's really, it's really, it's really cold today. Oh, it's really windy. <laughs> oh, look at that. There's not a cloud in the sky. Oh, look at all those ants. Must be going to rain. Actually, I love stuff. it so much that Murray Hunter bought me a little weather station. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, so communication to deepen relationships because marriages will thrive when friendship is deepened. It's, it's, quite, it's, th it's that simple. So your communication is to deepen friendship. Ray, why are you so fascinated about the weather? And, and she would then tell me. Well, I've still got no idea, but she, should, she, she, would, she would tell me. So do, are you communicating to learn more about your spouse and to develop a deeper understanding of, of why they function the way they do? You know, how was your day at work? How are you getting along with your boss? How did that, that situation resolve itself? What happened? Tell me about it. What's your favourite? Uh, how do you like your supper? How, just little things, all these little things. And it's building this roadmap in your head of appreciation, understanding for who your partner is and, and what it is that they like. And then the friendship, because of that, deepens. It's not, a, it's not rocket science, but it's, it, it, it just happens. And, and this John Gottman talks about people turning towards each other and the way he's he, you know he'll, he'd illustrate it like uh, couples make bids he calls it bids the bids for one another's attention like uh, and i'd be sitting for example um, preparing my sermon and ray would say well it's a lovely morning and i'd be like matthew 24 verse 3 so she's bid for my attention but i've given nothing and or so if she said it again, which would normally wouldn't happen, she'd say, oh, she could either get really cranky or snotted off or she could just say, well, all right, he's busy, he's doing something. But if she said, hey, it's a lovely day out there today, and I'd say, yeah, fantastic. Hey, I'm just really stressed about this sermon and can we, can we chat later and say, leave you alone. But, but so there's this, these bids that have to be acknowledged, just little things all, all throughout the day and every day that you're acknowledging your partner and you could, you could turn, so he calls it turning towards. Like, so if I acknowledge, I'm turning towards. If I totally ignore it, I turn away. And the other thing with communication, I, I, I like this illustration and I actually thought I, I might try it. I brought something here to give it a, at least give it a go, so why not? Um, so if I said, hey, Ray, and so that's, I've communicated. If you think of the, the tennis ball as the information or what you're wanting to communicate, it's, it's how, you, how you do it. Now, she, she'll give it back to me and 
Um, and I could say, yeah, so that was like asking for something, asking a question. How was your day? And she threw it back to me. And if she wanted something from me, she would do the same. Are you going to? Um, <laughs> <laughs> How was work today? Terrible. But so what? But then, so what happens is, or maybe you better deal with this. <laughs> so the information. <laughs> but you see, that's what happens in communication, right? So I could say something like, um, oh, "It's been a really busy day, and I thought that you said you were going to do the washing this today." And and, and her reaction to that will be interesting. <laughs> and so what happens is. If that, if that, you ke keeps getting bom constantly bombarded, you get defensive, right? And you're not actually receiving it. You can't catch it, so you have to give the communication in such a way. Oh, not like that. <laughs> but it, you got to give it, didn't in, catch it in such a way as that, that it can be received. Because if you're constantly just hurling it, and you see that it's it's the emotion that comes with the communication that becomes really problematic. And so if, it's, if you're constantly just hurling this jolly thing, you either just turn away and totally say, oh, whatever, just do what you've got to do. Or it's like you've got your cricket bat and every time it comes, it's just like, I'm going to belt this one out of the stadium and you really just retaliate. And it's so communication is, is interesting and you've got to communicate in a way that's you, that it can be received and digested and that it's not demeaning of, of your partner. So communicating to deepen friendship, not just talking about trivial stuff, but you know, to understand them better. So that's P number one. Ray, don't let any, any unwholesome talk, this is Ephesians 2, come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to the need, their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Unwholesome talk, try and avoid it. P two, Ray. chose this one Brett said that it is really nice this one for me to talk about and I feel so strongly about this and I so I wanted to talk to this um, feeling of um, deep admiration for someone due to um, regard for their feelings and their rights as another person um, so that's about recognizing their abilities and their qualities and their achievements um, you know your partner's abilities qualities and achievements aren't necessarily the same as yours and they can be extremely different and that's actually okay but you're often on the sideline and you're actually cheering them on with their dreams aspirations and sometimes those dreams and aspirations become yours because you're there cheering them on and, and that also so you, you become um, interested in those types of things so how do you know what your partner's dreams and aspirations are? Um, you know, it's difficult to respect and admire this if you don't actually know what they are. So how do we find out? So the best way to find out is to actually ask, and Brett's dealt with that a little bit earlier, and it's about, you know, what are your dreams? What are your aspirations? Um, you know, these change as well so my dreams and aspirations when I was 18 are very different to what my dreams and aspirations were when I was in my 30s and now that I'm in my 50s those dreams and aspirations are different again 
So if Brett hadn't, hadn't kept asking, he would still think my dreams and aspirations were the same as when I was 18, and they're definitely not. So you have to, you know, you change and adapt, and you need to ask, what, you know, what's important to you now, and find out what that is. And I have this little name. Um, I feel like I just don't know you anymore, Richard. You know, <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Maybe he wants to look like a chook with a whirly thing on his head. I don't know. Maybe that's his dream or aspiration. But, you know, sometimes if you don't ask, if you don't communicate, you get to a point where you actually look at this person and go, I don't even know who this person is anymore. Because you haven't moved with them, you haven't grown with them, and you haven't admired their qualities or their achievements. So um, finding out who they are, um, reviewing every now and again, um, learning to respect and ad admire these things. You might think um, great things, but if it doesn't get said, it's of no value. So, you know, you can be thinking, and I do this a lot, I forget to um, verbalise it. Oh, boy, you know, Brett is doing a really good job or he's handled that situation very well, but I forget to tell him sometimes. So you need to build a culture of appreciation. And the best way to show respect and acknowledgement and that you truly care is through words of affirmation and praise and how to appreciate or show how you appreciate someone. Um, let's have a look. There's a, a verse, Ephesians 4.32. I think, um, be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And there's another one, Proverbs 11. I love this. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters himself will be watered. In other words, you know, when you give someone affirmation and you look into those positive things in the relationship, it actually benefits you as well. And, um, you know, I used to be a DV counsellor in council for four years when Brett was the president up there. And um, I had to rebuild many, many women's lives. DV, domestic violence. Oh, domestic and family <coughs> violence counsellor. So I, I would talk to women that had been in awful situations. It was actually a crisis centre, but it was more for ongoing counselling for those that were really suffering. Um, and we had... Okay. We had some deaths while we were there, and it was pretty horrific. Um, you know, the stats these days for domestic and family violence are just horrific. If you um, Google... Uh, site called Destroy the Joint, um, it'll tell you how many women have actually lost their lives through domestic and family violence in a 12-month period, and at the moment we're up to 62, 62 women that have actually died from domestic and family violence in our country. Anyway, that's, off, that's way off the topic. Um, <laughs> so I used to um, talk to these women that had just had so much negativity and so even used to these jolly things. I think this is the first time I've ever worn one. Let's just make sure I've changed it. Um, yeah, so um, 
yeah, the, the, and how I used to explain it to these women, and we used to have men's groups as well, so we used to talk to the men as well, and we're talking to the women, and I'd say, you know, if you can imagine a, 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 a plaster mould or a ceramic mould or maybe, you know, made of clay of this person, and every time you criticise them or hurt them, you're chipping away at that and chipping away at that and chipping away at that, those chips don't often heal until that whole thing just crumbles, you know? Like, um, we've really got to learn how to positively affirm. And I used to try and get these women to affirm themselves, to actually see that there were some really positive things about them. And it was so hard for them because they constantly had negativity and they, they hadn't been admired. They haven't, hadn't learnt you know, how to feel good about themselves. And so we used to do this thing where we used to write down all the awesome things about that person. And I sometimes I would have to start that um, because I couldn't think of anything. And it was like, you know, you're here today because you want to, you know, you want to get better. This is awesome. It's a great thing. You're a mum. You know, you're doing this because of your children. And so, you know, you'd start building the affirmations. But in a marriage, it's really important to actually look for those positive things. So to catch your partner doing the right things rather than looking for those things that you can jump in and say, that's wrong. So it's um, positive affirmation. So I've actually set, I asked Brett a while ago when, This you is know, a scary thing. <laughs> this is what because happens. Because we don't have a perfect marriage. There's times when it's tough for us too. It's tough for every marriage. So if you're going through this, it's absolutely normal to feel like, hey, I'd like to be admired a little bit more or I'd like to be recognised for some of the good things that I'm doing. I know, I um, know. The point <laughs> she's trying to make is I'm not good at affirmations. So, so, right. so no, he actually <laughs> is quite good. But if, if um, so I said to Brett, let's do this. You, I, I want to hear, I said seven, but most people say five. Um, it'd be nice to hear five positive affirmations a day. Um, and, yeah, so... But well, I start sending these text messages, number one. <laughs> number two. He was covering them. See, yeah, you know. I did. So well, she said five, or she said seven. I got to six one day. But, um, <laughs> but, I, but I'm no good at it, and I've got to learn. You know, I, I, I try, and for example, can I t tell on this? Yeah. So, so Sabbath morning, right? She's getting dressed, and she's all ready to go, and, you know, Sabbath's a big day, so you kind of get up, done up. And we're driving to church, and she said, do I look all right? And I said, yeah, of course you do. And she said, well, but you never tell me that. And I, so I've got, to, I've got to start to think about that and say, hey, you look great. So this is what I did. I tried it the next week because she's getting ready. And I said, well, you look fantastic. And she says, not yet. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean not yet? And she says, well, I haven't done my hair yet. And I'm like, oh. I mean, if, the if you like the look of the house when it's half renovated, it's going to be even better when it's finished, right? Like, that's my theory. But When you jump out of the shower and you've got your towel around you and you're looking pretty ordinary, you know, and he says, oh, you look good. Ah. So I'm, I'm learning. I, she'd be mowing the lawn on a really hot day and I'd say, oh, gee, you look hot. And she'd, <laughs> it doesn't work. I told her once, I said, you're the best wife I've ever had. And she's... 
again, it didn't really work too well, but I'm learning <laughs> to, be, to be more affirming. So, yeah, five to one. You done with that one? Yeah, I just wanted to read this, though. Um, you know, rarely, uh, it, this is a great quote, and it's not the one you've got on there. A strong marriage rarely has two strong people at the same time. It is a husband and a wife who takes turns being strong for each other in the moments when the other feels weak. Because there's time wh times when, you know, I know that Brett's workload is so overwhelming, he actually can't affirm anything. He is out. And I have to respect that. And there's times when I'm out, you know, when things are going on for us um, or for my work or, you know, with our family or kids or whatever, sometimes it's like, no, it's your turn because I'm out. But sometimes it's very nice when we're we're doing it together. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it is. It is. So no, that's point number three: constructive disagreement and compromise, keys to a happy marriage. Now, this one is a huge thing. And again, I, I, the bad news is this, and I want to break it to you gently, but particularly married people. But See, the theory was, well, okay, so you have conflict in marriage. That is a given. We know that. You're just gonna, it's just going to happen. You have conflict in marriage. So the attitude was, well, you find a solution and that conflict's dealt with and you push it aside and you move on. Guess what? It's not the way it works. John Gottman discovered in this longitudinal study that when he brought couples in, 10 years later, like he studied them each year for a period of time, and he, this is whether the marriage was a, a success or it was turning into a disaster, he found that they were arguing about the same things 10 years later. And he says statistically that 69% of marital conflict is never resolved. But that doesn't mean you have to live in a war zone. It just means that you have to figure out ways to navigate around these things. And that's where the word compromise is critically important. Because some conflicts are solvable and others are permanent. The permanent ones come down to the core personhood of personhood of who you are personality characters character traits for example that that impact even blow up into simple little little things that generate conflict they keep coming up and and you you are not going to change your partner and you've just got to get used to that and start to think about ways well how do we compromise and how do we live as two different people and become one so, so that's kind of a little bit different from what you would perhaps normally expect to hear, but that's statistically based. For example, Ray and I are very different in terms of tidiness. Like she, she wants everything really tidy and, you know, you put stuff away. And when I come home, I put stuff strategically on the bench, you know, like something there and then I've got that over there and then something else over there. Now, she hates it. Right, <laughs> but but I, and I'm like, but I've learned. Uh, so because what happens is this: 
She puts stuff away, but she doesn't know where she puts it. <laughs> All right? So if I, she sees my stuff on the bench and she says, there's his mobile phone charger. I wonder where I can hide that where he'll never find <laughs> it. That's what she thinks, right? And she puts it away and then I'm like, oh, where is that thing? Because I, I hate looking for stuff, right? But she likes the appearance of being tidy. So my stuff is there on the bench because I can see it and I don't have to look for it. I know it's there. And it's, you know, benches were made to put stuff on, Carl, let's, let's be honest. So that's, but she, but, but we've lived like that and from time to time it generates conflict. 33 years later, nothing's changed. She still wants to put stuff away and I've learned the level of tolerance. This is the compromise. I know that I can get away with it for so long. But if I come home and she's had a bad day, I don't even, I just start putting stuff away. <laughs> I, I said, whoops, okay, now, now's the time, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's probably never going to be resolved. I mean, that's a tri it's a trivial illustration, but of a deeper, a deeper uh, personality issue. So, um, and when it, so when it comes to conflict, um, yeah. Okay, John Gottman, in his studies, he was able to predict with 85% accuracy which couple's marriage would not last, which is just off the charts in terms of predictive, predicting human behaviour. It's just in psychology, that is just right out there, 85%. And not only that, he could do it, he could say how long this particular marriage would last. And he came down to what he called the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the apocalypse, the four things that would ride into a marriage, so to speak, and were going to destroy it if they weren't dealt with. And here's what they are, I think. Oh, yeah, okay. Just because I'm mad doesn't mean I stop caring. That's true. But here's what they are. Oh, are we going to listen to that? No, we haven't got time for that. Yeah, you wanted to see Ernie and do it, right? Oh, okay, I'll go back. So we, because we talk about this. Hello there. Hey, you know what happened to me? I broke my vacuum cleaner. Mm -hmm. So I sent it off to the repair shop to get it fixed. But I need to clean my apartment, and so I really need a vacuum cleaner, you know? So right here in this house here lives a very good friend of mine, Herbert Birdfoot. And he's got a vacuum cleaner, you know? So what I think I'll do is I was going to knock on the door here and ask Herbert Birdfoot if I can borrow his vacuum cleaner. But wait a minute. You know what? See, I just happened to think. Right about this time, every day, old Herbert Birdfoot takes a bath. Mm -hmm. I bet he's inside right now in his nice warm tubby, soaping his ears, you know. And then there's going to be this knock on the door, and he's going to come to the door, and then I'm going to ask to borrow his vacuum cleaner, and he's going to be real mad, I bet, because I made him get out of his nice warm tubby and come to the door all wet and sudsy. He'll probably even catch a cold. Well, yeah. You know what? He might not even loan me his vacuum cleaner. You know, a person who makes him come, you know, out of his nice warm tubby and catch a cold. Well, he probably, you know what? I, I bet he would think that I probably wouldn't even return his vacuum cleaner to him. But I would. Of course I would. But he would think I wouldn't. Matter of fact, he'd probably, he'd probably go around telling all my friends not to loan me anything. He'd probably tell them that I wouldn't return it, you know. He'd probably say how unreliable I am, you know, and that people shouldn't loan me anything. And people would stop loaning me things, 
And, and matter of fact, they probably wouldn't even speak to me anymore. Why, I used to have a lot of friends before that rotten old Herbert Birdfoot started shooting off his mouth. That's the way you feel about it. You can just keep your rotten old vacuum cleaner. So there. So anyway, oh, we haven't got time to talk about it. But you see what happens in your self-talk and what happens in your own head may or may not match the reality. And it can generate a situation where you you escalate your feelings, you you your your start up in your conversation with your spouse is really critical and angry but in reality if you'd only just checked and see and sometimes it's just reminded we say to each other oh, don't be earning in a vacuum cleaner yeah, also, <laughs> oh, stop being like earning in this vacuum cleaner so the four horsemen of apocalypse these are the four things and i see we're, we're pretty much out of time but let's quickly these are the things that gottman's study says come into a marriage and he can start, depending on the, the, the level of this stuff, he'll be able to predict what happens. Criticism is the first one, and he differentiates between criticism and complaining. Ray, you said you are going to put the washing out. I've come home, and you didn't do it. What is wrong with you? Don't you think I've been working out, you know, so I'm, I'm now critical of her. Whereas a complaint is, hey, Dale, I've come home. You said you were going to put this, the washing out. Now I feel like I've got to do it. Are you able to do it or am I going to have to do and it? And I'd still be cranky if you said that. And <laughs> so, but it's, I'm not putting her down. I'm not saying, what is wrong with you? Are you a dimwit? Can't you remember anything? It's that sort of stuff. That's, that's the criticism. You can register a complaint. It's about a particular issue. So, and then there's defensiveness because when you do that, there's a defensiveness. And they say, well, what do you think? I've been, I've been busy all day too. What do you expect me to do it for? You know, why can't you get off? You're such a lazy so-and-so. That sort of stuff. It's that type of conversation that comes in. And then he says, this is the number one pr predictor is contempt. You, you look down on the person. You, that, that admiration, respect, that fondness, that's not the, what governs your conversation. It's this absolute contempt. You so-and-so, how dare you talk to me like that? Who do you think you are? And that, you know, that, that, sort, that contempt. And he says when that starts happening frequently in a marriage, it's in big trouble. And then there's the stonewalling because, and it all sort of flows naturally. The stonewalling is, well, there's no point in me engaging. There's no point in me trying to talk. There's no point in me, I'm, I'm just, and you, you know, you just fold your arms and you're just absolutely non-responsive. You know, she might as well be talking to a brick wall because I just emotionally can't cope with it. Those things start happening in a marriage. He says you're in big trouble. But above all, this is where the Christian faith and our experience of forgiveness becomes so important. First Peter, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins because it needs to. We are all sinners and you don't marry the perfect spouse and neither are you able to be the perfect spouse so forgiveness needs to come into the relationship as well so be kind another one oh we just we had that, that one, one already didn't we so this is the final point that we want to share with you just quickly though we'll run out of time yeah and um it can be really quick because you all know that this is um a major thing 
It is so important to prioritise your time. And in society today and the way that we live, if we don't actually conscientiously block time out through family and friends, it won't happen. And constantly it'll be like tomorrow or next week or next weekend. Oh, I'll do that next weekend. But um, because of the way that we are on this treadmill of life and, I mean, this year has just gone so quickly, all the things that you wanted to do with your kids and your family, maybe that's gone, that, that space is gone and you can't get that back again. I do age care assessments and I visit people that are, sometimes they're in their 90s, you know, and I say to them, what's, what's your, um, I talk to them about their longevity and all of that sort of thing and find out what their secrets are in life. And sometimes I say to them, what would you do differently? And, you know, they very rarely don't, but very often do say, I would spend way more time doing the things that are important to me than my work. And they'll say, retire early. Because when you retire at 65 and you have all these plans of all these things you're going to do, number one, your family's moved on. And they, they've got their own lives and they're busy and now you've got all this time that you can spend with your families and they're too busy. And, um, you know, and you're too old to do all those things. So make the time. And you've all seen the pie graph, you know, that sleep, work, blah, blah, blah. But you need to spend time with your family. And um, we actually think that we do that pretty well. We've, we've really made a huge effort to be there for our kids in any situation. We will drop everything when they need us, um, particularly our son who, um, you know, is our youngest. I suppose we learned, got better at it as we went on, didn't we? But, um, you know, like he used to play rep basketball. We lived right out in a village out from Mullumbar at Kelgum and we had to drive him to the Gold Coast for his three, three nights a week, you know? And we used to travel 45 minutes there and 45 minutes back, pick up all his mates. You just do it. Um, and, you know, we have reaped the benefits of that. Our kids would tell us that they felt that we spent quality time with them. And we try and spend quality time with each other, particularly now that we are, um, Brett's in such a busy role and we don't have any kids at home. We actually have to make time where we just go and have a cuppa together and have a chat. But um, it's absolutely vital. Thanks. Time is an investment of time. It's well worth it. So that's our four keys for a happy marriage. There'd be others. You probably, those of you who are married, maybe think, oh, you didn't mention that. But that's, that's some that are important to us. Communicate to deepen friendship. Um, have mutual respect and admiration. Constructive disagreement and compromise. And finally, pr the prioritising of spouse and family. And I just want to finish with one verse, which is probably our favourite verse as a couple, and it's been something we've shared with our kids. Uh, it came down from my grandfather. It's a bit of a family thing, but this is a verse that is relevant for anyone in a relationship, but particularly in a marriage relationship, and it's from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter one and verse uh, sorry, chapter 5 and verse 11, and it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. You can't be in the business of tearing down. You have to be in the business of building each other up, just as in fact we are trying to do. So God bless you. God bless your relationships. Um, and may God strengthen.
strengthen and enrich them to the glory of his name is, is our prayer. We Let's pray. Shall we pray right from the start? Lord, we just ask you into this place right now and we ask you to be with each person with their head bowed. Lord, all sorts of situations, um, you know their, their space, you know what's going on in their heart. But Lord, some of the things that we talked about today, we know how important they are to you because throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible, there's verses about caring for each other and, and how to, how to um, acknowledge one another and, and respect. And, and um, we just thank you so much for your guidance, for the fact that we can talk to you at any time, Lord. And we thank you so much for forgiveness. Um, you were the person, you were the ultimate um, to, to teach us about how to forgive and there's lots of times we have to do that in our marriages and we thank you for being our instructor in that way. Yeah, thank you that you've given us marriages a, a wonderful relationship uh, which has its challenges. When we say we become one flesh, it just doesn't happen. But with you living in us and understanding some of the the deep things about friendship and getting to know one another, respecting, admiring one another, communicating well and uh, prioritising that relationship, learning how to compromise when there's roadblocks that we can't agree on. Lord, I pray for each head bowed that you'll bless them wherever they are in, in relationships. Sometimes it's marriage, sometimes it's with friends, other family. Lord, may you bless us abundantly according to your, according to our needs and your will. May we build one another up with our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.